Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our midweek devotional. I was thinking this is our 30th week studying Mark's gospel, close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. Uh, it, it's, it's easy when you do something for a long period of time, like this is 30 weeks, and here we gather, we do a little study. Once in a while, it's good to sort of back up and think of why we're doing this. I was, I was thinking of uh, Psalm 1, the, the person that meditates on God's word, being like a tree planted by streams of water. And it's important in that imagery to understand what the psalmist is saying. The, the water is the word. Everywhere else is drought. You, you've got to be close to the water for the leaves to stay green and bear fruit. And so, you know, you're in this we're in this pandemic, we're in this crazy situation and it's a hard thing and it's a tiring thing. And if you don't stay close to the water, your heart starts to dry out. And so we're trying to do everything we can just to find these times when we, we uh, gather together like this. We open up to the same passage of scripture, we study it together and it's, and it's like a cool drink of water to turn things green in your heart and in your soul again. So that's why we do this. That's why it matters. Take the 25 minutes. You can find it on a Wednesday evening. You know when we do it at seven o'clock. And think of it as, think of it as putting the sprinkler on your brown grass. That's what God's word does when you get it into your system. All right. So this is now starting chapter 14. In Mark's gospel, uh, I'm calling this study worship. When extravagance becomes prudent. And it's the story you know of, I'm going to say it's Mary breaking this alabaster box and pouring it over Jesus. And it's valuable and it's, it's worth a lot of money. Uh, and it's such an extravagant act. So worship. When extravagance becomes prudent, what we normally do with those words, we think of extravagant as wasteful. We think of prudent as smart and cautious. And what Jesus does in this little story of devotion to Jesus, what he does is he flips those terms where extravagance becomes proper and prudent would be foolish. So that's what we're going to see. Mark chapter 14. Look at the first two verses. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Verse 2. For they said, not during the feast, as all these people gathered, lest there be an uproar from the people. So that's the first two verses, and it's in the third verse that this woman comes and anoints Jesus with this valuable perfume. And, and so you're meant to see this, this uh, contrast. This woman's devotion, it shines so brightly because it's against the backdrop in the first two verses of these religious leaders, the religious leaders who are out to 
to hunt Jesus down and to kill him. In fact, Jesus, when this, when this woman comes and anoints his body with this expensive ointment, Jesus says in the eighth verse that this woman had anointed his body for burial. So first two verses, scribes, Pharisees, they're out to hunt Jesus down. They're out to trap him. They want to kill him, but they have to be careful because they know the people love Jesus and there's a big crowd there, so they can't do it right yet. But their desire is to kill Jesus. This woman comes in the third verse, and we move on in the story where she anoints Jesus. They're gathered, they're gathered in the house of Simon, and, uh, and you see this devotion preparing his body for burial. So they're trying to kill him in one and two. They're trying to kill him. In three, his body's being anointed for burial. And you start to see the way Jesus understands what's going on. This isn't just a lynching. This isn't just people trying to get rid of Jesus. This is Jesus seeing what's happening. Part of the plan. It's all starting to unfold Point number two, look at that third verse. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Mark says, very costly. And she broke the flask, poured it over his head. You get some extra details. We're, we're so blessed to have a collection of four Gospels because each one can, can pull some things into the light that the others don't, don't show quite as clearly. In, in all likelihood, I think, people debate it, but I think that this is the same woman identified by John, John 12, 1 to 8. John records this story. And John, John identifies this woman as Mary. I'm going to say it's Mary. If you don't think it is, that, that's fine. I think it is. The fact that John says she poured the oil over Jesus' feet, John 12, 3, that shouldn't be disturbing. As Jesus is reclining at, at the table, there's enough oil in that container. You pour it on Jesus' head, as in Mark. It runs down, anoints his body for burial, as Jesus has indicated. So I don't think that's a big conflict. The point of the story seems to be that this flask of oil is really valuable. Mark says, 14.5 of Mark, that it's a year's wages. Think about that. A year's wages. If this woman was, in fact, Mary, we know she probably wouldn't have had sufficient funds to buy that kind of perfume. Probably something like that had been handed down generations through the family. So maybe Mary had kept this for years, kept it from thieves and intruders, guarded it. And that's why all the disciples seemed just so amazed that she would just break this flask and pour it over Jesus. Look at verses four and five of Mark 14. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So Mark says they said this to themselves, but it wasn't just to themselves because he says they 
they scolded Mary when they saw her do this. Let me just give you a little background to this. So, so this would be 3A. She shows this extravagance in anointing Jesus. Now, what drove her to do this? Why? What does she see that the others miss? What does she understand? What motivates this grace of extravagance? Well, a couple of things. She was sitting there with her brother Lazarus. If you look at the same account in John 12, 1 and 2, John says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So if that's the case, we start to see what's going on in Mary's heart in Mark 14. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. This is your brother. He's alive. He's sitting there at this supper. We also know that this took place, Mark says in verse 3 of chapter 14, took place at the house of Simon the leper. We know next to nothing about Simon the leper. We do know that it's highly unlikely that people would have gathered, the people would have gathered in the home of someone who was still leprous. So it seems Simon the leper has this nickname that may be no longer applied. We don't know that for sure. Had, had he been healed by Jesus? We know there were many times when Jesus healed lepers individually and in groups. Simon could have been one of those. It's at least an interesting possibility. So you would have, you would have Mary overwhelmed. Her brother Lazarus has been raised from the dead. They're in the house of Simon the leper who may well have been healed of his leprosy. something else. Jesus said in that eighth verse that Mary was anointing him for burial. Did, did she have, so there's this fact of Lazarus, her brother, Simon the leper, anointing Jesus for burial. Did, was this part of the motive in Mary's actions? Did, did she somehow sense what was going to happen to Jesus? It's not impossible that she could have known Jesus had predicted his death on many occasions. He had talked about it. She could have heard some of those discussions. Maybe she grasped something that the others had missed. Don't forget, Luke says Mary, she was the one that would sit at Jesus' feet listening to him so she could very well have known Jesus was going to die. All of that plays into why Mary did what she did. Uh, her brother had been raised from the dead. They were in the house of Simon the leper, but he wasn't a leper anymore. She understood Jesus was going to die soon, and she's anointing him for burial. All those things, I think, come bubbling out of that text. And then notice the reaction of the disciples. John records Judas as the spokesperson for the group, but Mark makes it clear that all of those in the room, it says all of those in the room, Mark 14, 5, rebuked her harshly. Just look at what's happening here. Mary is moved at past blessings from Jesus. She may well have understood that Jesus was, was going to die soon and her heart goes out uh, in compassion. So she takes this, this ointment, a year's salary. 
That's the worth. And, and her, her heart breaks before the alabaster box breaks and she just can't help herself. She anoints Jesus with this act of love. And then you see this immediate contrast. Jesus' closest followers. Think Mary's crazy. Jesus' closest followers think this kind of devotion is reckless. And it just, it just makes me kind of stop and say, is this, is this what religious routine can do? They're with Jesus all the time. They see him all the time. They're watching him, listening to him. Maybe aren't as moved as Mary is in this situation. Is there that possibility that even, even good religious routines can somehow make the heart a little more accustomed to the things of God and the greatness of Jesus so they aren't as easily moved? I think we can all relate a little bit to their complaint deep down inside. I mean, I mean, what practical good did Mary's action accomplish? Well, nothing. Nothing. It, it just doesn't strike us as a practical act. It doesn't strike us as a prudent act. I mean, even devout Christians, we might be tempted to stop and say, so what, what ministry did this further? How many lost did this reach? The perfume really could have been sold. We know that. How many hungry people would it have fed for a year? So in our eyes, we look at that and we think, boy, that deed, it, you know, God bless Mary for her emotionalism, but it's, what a waste. Nothing good came out of it. There's an enormous danger in underrating the beauty and the necessity of acts of sheer devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to be learning here. What we're seeing here is you, you have to keep the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If the second commandment is going to, is going to uh, keep having momentum in it and be to the glory of God and your neighbor as yourself. Four, look at verses six through nine. So they're all rebuking her. There's, there's no practical good that came out of this. What a waste. That's the tone. So what is Jesus going to do? Jesus speaks now. Mark 14, six. Jesus said, leave her alone. Interesting. Why do you trouble her? Here's Jesus' assessment. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then these striking words that we think don't really sound like Jesus, verse 7, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. Jesus did, surely, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Look at verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
So here's what you don't see Jesus doing. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 stop, stop. Don't waste this. Find some poor people to feed with this money. He doesn't do that. Jesus says, what she did is beautiful. What she did is appropriate. What she did is the highest good imaginable. He recognized Jesus did so much for the poor, the outcast, the people no one else would touch, no one else would reach. And yet he recognized a divine order, a priority perhaps that we tend to neglect. I mean, there's just no virtue we admire more than prudence. I said at the beginning, Jesus is going to flip these around. Extravagance is a waste. Prudence is a blessing. And Jesus says, usually, yeah, but when, but when you're setting your heart in devotion to Jesus, prudence is the sin. Extravagance is the blessing. Love always dominates. It, it, it pours out our hearts. We admire people so much who have the capacity to calculate everything they do, maximize all their investments, And however passionate this woman's actions appeared, they certainly don't seem prudent. And there are times, there are times when prudence doesn't receive very high marks in the scriptures. Look at Luke 10, 21. Jesus prays and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and revealed them to babes. There are important things that the prudent will always miss. Devotion to Jesus shouldn't be measured. Love always brings abandonment. Be extravagant with God. Be prudent with everything else, but don't flip it around where you're extravagant with your own desires and needs and prudent and careful with the things of God. Jesus says, don't get those things backward like that. You can't be too extravagant in devotion to Jesus. His presence calls for a passion and a love, even this day, that are, that are almost unbounded, always costly, Five. Well, what about the poor? It's the last point. I mean, actually, we've already studied this in the two great commandments back in Mark 12, 29 to 31. Jesus answers, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. The second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting, isn't it? When you read the first commandment, if we're loving God with all our heart and all our soul, underline the alls, all your mind, all your strength, then how much is left for your neighbor? Well, strangely, it works like this. The more devoted you are to God with everything you have in you, you don't care less about your neighbor and the poor. You'll care more. 
But if you get it backwards, neither one will receive the attention they deserve. The poor, like our neighbor and our enemies, these people never lose when you put God first. So what's the lesson? Well, the lesson is there are these two virtues. One is prudence that measures, calculates, holds back, cautious. One is extravagant and reckless that, that requires all, that pours everything out. What we normally do is we save extravagance for ourselves and prudence for God. And Jesus says it's backwards. Be extravagant with your devotion to Jesus. And no one else will ever lose when you are. It's a great text. It's one of those classic texts. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we're in 1 John. How to avoid both compromise and condemnation. It's really learning how to hear the word with seriousness about holiness, but not condemnation for failure and sin. I want to talk about that balance and how to walk in that gracious following of the Spirit of God. And then Sunday night, uh, I'm so interested in the topic we've been pursuing on the Scriptures, how we got our Bible and what the terms mean when we're studying our Bibles. So tonight I want to look at what inerrancy is and what inerrancy isn't, why be we believe in it and why it matters. So that's, that's uh, tonight. Tonight at, uh, Sunday night rather, at 6.30. So come and join us. We would just love to have you for our Sunday night time. Let's pray. Our walk and our love and our devotion we want, Lord, in response to the Holy Spirit working within us to be a, a, a fountain that flows, an extravagant devotion to Jesus that, that makes service a delight, obedience a joy, and worship the full expression of hearts that are just fully given to the Lord in love and adoration. Bless this complex truth to our hearts in a living and vital way, I pray. Let's the, let the rest of the week just be marked with a sense of your presence. We want to be trees planted by rivers of water until we can study again on Sunday. Let your blessing rest upon Cedarview Community Church, I pray in Jesus' name, and I thank you. Amen. Blessings, church. Love one another.